Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the final hour is here on this Wednesday edition. In 20 minutes, we've got 10 big questions going into the NFL season, which will kick off tomorrow night in Los Angeles as the Rams host the Bills to get us going in week one of the NFL. Week one of college football concluded uh, a few days ago, and that included Tennessee with a a relatively easy win over Ball State, what we expected. Um, But it sets up a top 25 matchup this week between Tennessee and Pitt. And Brent Hubbs joins us on OutKick 360 to preview the week ahead for Tennessee and the matchup against Pitt, which is a rematch from last year at Neyland where Tennessee fell in what was a, a great game to watch. I don't know if they enjoy reliving it all that much. Brent, how are you? I'm doing great. Hope you guys are doing well. Absolutely. Your your initial thoughts on the Pitt Panthers week. We've, we've discussed this as being a pivot point for the season. Now that you've seen Tennessee play and you know how they matched up last year, new quarterback, but we've certainly seen Pitt play as well. What do you think about the matchup initially? Oh, I think it's intriguing. I'm a little surprised the line moved in Tennessee's favor, to be honest with you, from four to uh, a touchdown. Um, I don't know what Vegas knows. Generally, they know more than the rest of us. I know Pitt's dealing with an injury at running back and an injury at right tackle, so maybe that's something that, that factored in there. But but I think it's a really intriguing matchup between a couple of coaches who know each other really well, um, conflict in styles, in terms of what Pat Narduzzi wants to do versus what Josh Heupel wants to do. I always think those make for compelling matchups. And you look back at last year's game, a lot of self-inflicted wounds by Tennessee. And and I'm not taking anything away from Kenny Pickett and Pitt. Look, they put 27 points on the board in the second quarter and and turned that into a total different game. Tennessee looked like they were on the verge of blowing Pitt out in Neyland Stadium. But Tennessee had 13 penalties for over 100 yards in that game. Um, they dealt with a massive load of injuries. Cade Mays got hurt in that game. Obviously, Joe Milton, they made the quarterback switch there. They lost Jabari Small in that game. There was no Byron Young in that game. Jalen Hyatt got hurt in that game. So there's some factors in that game that did not factor in a year ago who will factor in on Saturday. Lots of similarities. Pitt's not a lot different than they were a year ago other than obviously at the quarterback position. So uh, Pitt's going to do what Pitt does. Tennessee's going to do what it does. Depends on It'll be interesting to see whose style wins out on Saturday. Well, it's going to be the first real test for Tennessee's defense to see if they've improved from last season. Um, who's the biggest – what's the biggest prove-it guy in, in this game for Tennessee? Or maybe even it's a position group going up against Pitt in this game. We know the offense can score for Tennessee, but who do you want to see step it up in this game against Pitt on defense? 
The two guys jump out to me. One, Byron Young, because I didn't think he was particularly – I just thought he was okay at best against Ball State. And I know Ball State threw the ball and got it out of their hands quickly and all those things. But I, I thought he would be a little more active than he was in week one. So I think this is an important game. You know, obviously Tennessee needs him to show up and, and get after the quarterback. Pitt gave up five sacks a week ago. Can Tennessee get there? So I would say Byron Young and those edge guys. You can throw Tyler Barron into that factor as well. And then I think the other guy is Warren Burrell, because if you go back and look at PFF stats from last year and you go look and rewatch games last year, teams went after Warren Burrell. Um, that they just, you know, they went after him, attacked him. He was the target. He was the guy they picked on. That's clearly the guy in the scouting report that said throw it up to against number four and see what happens. Uh, he was most targeted by Ball State. Ball State went after him. Uh, more than they went after Christian Charles. And Christian Charles was making his first career start at corner. So I think Warren Burrell is going to get tested early in this game. Curious to see how he responds. If he doesn't respond well, curious to see what Tennessee does. Do they go Kamal Haddon early in this game against Pitt? I thought Haddon played well, uh, but we'll see what happens there. So I, I think Warren Burrell is going to get targeted early. We'll see how he responds to it. And then defensively up front, can they get to the quarterback off the edge without having to bring the house? Did Josh Heupel or any of the Vols react to what Narduzzi said about you know the playing playing the big boys now and <clears throat> his kind of uh, pep talk for his own guys through the media? Nah, that they, they didn't get caught up in, in in that stuff. That's not Josh Heupel's style, you know. Um, you know, the, Tennessee's excited to play this game, and, and Tennessee sees this. Somebody asked me earlier today, is this a revenge game? You know, it's a different team. There's a lot of different guys in play here. A lot of the same guys, but there's some different guys in play for Tennessee. I don't see this as a revenge game. I think Tennessee sees this as a statement game. Look, they're on ABC, on national television at 330. Uh, Tennessee's ranked. Pitt's ranked. Tennessee's a favorite on the road. A lot of people think Tennessee's on the on the coming up, that they're moving in the right direction. If that's the case, then, then Tennessee's got to go out and prove it. And I think that's Josh Heupel's message to his team is here's the opportunity to go make a bit of a statement. Can we make that statement? Are we ready to go make that statement? And we'll see if Tennessee can do that on Saturday. The ebbs and flows of the game, uh, Pitt has done a good job in recent memory of corralling that. You know, they, They're able to bounce back in a big moment. Chad, we were discussing earlier this week about close games. And but Tennessee had one close win last year. And one in three, I'd say. One in three in close, close games. games last year, yeah. Yeah, that, that's another element of this, Brent, that we haven't seen from Hendon Hooker and, and this regime is the close wins at the end. Pitt would certainly fall in that category last year in week two. Yeah, I think that's the and I think that's the byproduct of an established head coach who's been there for a while and his culture's in place. I asked Philip Fulmer one time, how do you get over the hump and, and win close games? This was after he was done as head coach. Because uh, we were talking about Butch Jones. You know, Butch Jones had been there uh, with some close games and they hadn't been able to close them out, whether it was Oklahoma or Florida or whoever. You know, and, and I asked him, I said, what, what's the key to success to closing out a game? And he said, you know what? You, you get in enough close ones, eventually you, you knock the wall down and, and you kind of figure it out. But there is no magic formula. I think if you go back and look at Pat Narduzzi early in his career, they had some ACC games where they had Clemson on the rope, and they had some other teams that they had a chance to knock out and get it done, and, and they came up short because they didn't know how to finish. And so I, I think the question is, has Tennessee learned that? Can this veteran group finish a close game? We'll, we'll find out. Uh, you would love for there to be a magic formula on how to do that, 
but but they're certainly not the case. I mean, a lot of people are giving Billy Napier in Florida credit, right, for winning a close game, and they did. It's a great drive they had to, to, to take the lead, but really they didn't close it out. When you look at what happened in that last drive, they got helped with the closeout because the quarterback decided to throw it into triple coverage when he had two downs left inside the five-yard line, which bailed the Florida defense out. I'm not saying that Utah should have scored, I'm saying the Utah quarterback gave Florida a gift by throwing it into traffic the way that he did. And they let, you know, Florida let Utah drive the length of the field. So um, it's a process. I, I don't know when it hits. I don't know how it hits. But there's a moment where you figure out how to win close games like that. And um, we'll see if Tennessee's ready for that if this is a close game in the fourth quarter. What do you what do you expect from Tennessee's running backs in this game? It it seems with the Narduzzi defense, they are very much we're we're going to stop the running back run game going into it, which could lead to some shots down the field for for Tennessee. But specifically, running back rotation, what do you expect to see from these guys on Saturday? Well, Chad, you asked a great question. I think when you look at Pitt in the backyard brawl, what jumps out at you? There's two things, two stats to me that jumps out. One. They gave up five sacks, which surprises me. I didn't see that coming from West Virginia's defense. And then on the flip side of that, Pitt's defense gave up over five yards of carry to West Virginia's running backs. West Virginia ran for 190 yards against a Pat Narduzzi defense, which is like, you know, red flag, caution light, beep, beep, you know, what's going on there? What, why did that happen? Um, if Tennessee could find that kind of success, I think Tennessee's got a, a shot at a great day because you're going to have to commit extra people to the box, which is going to set up those shots, as you mentioned. Pitt's going to play man coverage on the outside on a pretty regular basis anyway, so there'll be some shot opportunities. But can Tennessee effectively run the football against Pitt the way West Virginia did? This is going to be Jabari Small. This is going to be Jalen Wright. Um, we'll see where their trust factor is with Dylan Sampson. Maybe some specialty stuff for him, but I don't know that he's going to be a guy that's going to get 10, 12 carries in this game. I think it's going to be Small and Wright. I think Small's very much looking forward to this opportunity because he didn't get to play in this game very much last year because he got hurt, and he's got the extra 15 pounds. I think he wants to show that he can physically handle uh, the big boys, as, as Pat Narduzzi likes to call them, uh, with his defensive front. So we'll, we'll see. But if Tennessee can find any running success like West Virginia had, boy, I like Tennessee's chances Saturday. We are previewing Tennessee and Pitt, a top 25 matchup this weekend with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com. Uh, Chad's got Brew McCoy and his coming out party this weekend. He says this is the, is the game built for Brew McCoy with the, the physical tone that will be on the outside there in man coverage. Do you agree? Well, Chad must have watched the Rocky Top Roundtable this morning. Right. I'm glad I prepped you along, Chad. Good job. I'm a, uh, I'm a big uh, fan, you, you, and, you, you and I are on the same page, Chad. I, I know you didn't take that from me, but I agree with you. I, I think this is a this is a big-time opportunity game for, for Brew McCoy here. Uh, I liked what I saw out of Brew last week. Um, I, I thought that he handled himself well. He didn't look lost. Josh Heupel kind of confirmed that, that he didn't have any real mental bust in this game. Uh, guy who can snatch the ball out of the air. I think he's he's physical, uh, but he's got a little more wiggle than people give him credit for. Um, I, I think Pitt better be careful not to sleep on, on Brew McCoy because I, I think that this could be a big-time step-out game uh, for, for Brew McCoy because I think Pitt's going to put a lot of attention on Cedric Tillman, probably roll your safety over to help over on that side a little bit. Then you got to worry about Jalen Hyatt down the middle of the field, which might leave McCoy in some true isolated one-on-one situations. And I can tell you, Hendon Hooker has a lot of trust in that scenario uh, with the Cal with the Southern Cal transfer. So I, I think McCoy could have a big afternoon. 
when you said something there, Brent, that was going to lead to my, my next question. Do you think McCoy and Hyatt combined can be good enough where teams are unable to put extra attention on Cedric Tillman as the season goes on? Well, and I think you got to throw in Josh Heupel in that equation and his ability to scheme guys open. Okay. I mean, you got Jalen Hyatt who can run. You got McCoy who's got size and he can run. Josh Heupel is all about speed, right? And you go back, how many times a year ago did they have somebody running free that was opposite of Cedric Tillman? I mean, go to the Kentucky game, right? That's how they started that game, basically on three straight offensive plays to get guys open. So to, to answer your question, I do think McCoy is good enough. I think Hyatt is in a great place if he can stay healthy right now to be good enough. And I think the combination of those two with the schematics of Josh Heupel will make it hard to truly blanket double-team Cedric Tillman because if they do and roll that safety coverage that much that way, then that leaves Josh Heupel a lot of green grass to play with with two receivers and some of his scheme stuff and switch routes and rubs and different things like that to get people open. You anticipate the atmosphere stays as charged as it was last week, or is that impossible considering the, the rivalry with West Virginia? Uh, I don't think that the I don't think that the Pittsburgh people will be as charged up as West Virginia. I mean, all you got to do is get on social media. Well, we had people lose their jobs, get suspended from radio shows, lose endorsements because of uh, of profanities they screamed at their rivals. So I, I don't think people if you have if you don't know anybody from West Virginia or Pitt. You don't truly understand the significance of how much distaste they have for each other. Uh, they really don't like each other at all. They've had that. They had had that game circled for years to renew that rivalry. So I don't think it'll be that intense, Paul. Uh, I do think there'll be a good crowd there, but but I don't think it'll be anything like what we saw uh, a week ago between those two teams because those two teams, those two fan bases, absolutely have zero use for each other at all. I mean, none. Do you expect a lot of Tennessee fans to make the trip to Pittsburgh? I, I do. I, I think that I think that there'll be a good number to make that trip. You know, the Pirates are in town on Friday night. You go into an NFL stadium. I think tickets have been um, you've been able to buy tickets through Ticketmaster in Pittsburgh as well as whatever Tennessee's had available. So I think there's been the availability to get tickets. Tennessee fans are excited about this team. They love a good road trip. Nobody's been to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to honor Johnny Majors. I think they're unveiling a statue on campus of, of Johnny Majors. Uh, that they see this as a as a big recognition weekend for their former coach, who also happens to be a Tennessee legend. So I, I do think you'll see a good number of Tennessee fans there. Um, you know, compared to some other road games through the years, I, I think Tennessee fans like to go to new places. They really like to go to new places where they think their football team's pretty good. Brent, I know. Uh, I don't. Well, have you called a game in that stadium? No, but I've, I've I've talked to some people who have, okay. and I understand my viewpoint is not it's not, it's not going to be a great vantage you're, point. So you're in a corner um, if you're in our booth or the, the yeah, Titans booth. I, yeah, yeah, that's what I I understand. Uh, I don't know if it's as bad as Auburn because Auburn you're in the end zone and low, but I don't think it's a great vantage point. So it'll be uh, it'll certainly be a challenge uh, to to call the to call the game from there from it, what I understand. Not ideal. Um this has been my my soapbox issue and it's not a major issue because they've had success with the offense, but I, I'm prefacing that realizing I'm probably harped on it too much. But I picked up on this last year when Tennessee played Pitt. I I felt like Tennessee could win that game if they just ran some clock. Uh instead of giving it back to Kenny Pickett a couple of times. Um and I I'm interested if 
gets to that where it's make it, take it, or whatever it ends up being in a fast break, fast paced offense from both sides because the defense can't stop either one. I, I wonder if Heupel's willing to slow it down a bit and use the clock to his advantage if he has a lead. Uh, I think he will if he has a lead and they can successfully run the football. Part of the issue last year, when you go back and look at that game, with Jabari Small being out of the game, Jalen Wright was the, the running back, and Jalen Wright had basically never been on the field before. He had just a handful of carries against Bowling Green. And Tennessee rushed for, uh, I think, 130 yards, 136 yards, something like that. I think 50 of them came from Hendon Hooker, a lot of it on scrambles. I don't know how comfortable Tennessee was with their running game at that point. I think that game, run game got better throughout the year. One of the things that stood out to me in the Ball State game, and it's not the end of the world, it doesn't matter, Tennessee had a long drive in the third quarter in that game that chewed up a bunch of clock, and they kind of just ran it. Now, they had the big lead. They're running out the clock. I get it. But, you know, Ball State was continuing to drop eight in coverage and, and had a three- or four-man front at best. Uh, and Tennessee elected to run the football. They kind of took what was given there. I do think if they can get in a lead situation um, – I'm not saying they're going to shut it down and not take chances, but maybe they do run the football a little more effectively and and they extend the game or slow the game down. Uh, They're always going to play with some version of tempo. Don't get me wrong, but I think if they're more comfortable with their run game than they were a year ago against Pitt, you you may see that different in the second half this year compared to a season ago in that matchup. Guys, if Tennessee wins and Florida beats Kentucky September 24th – there's always, you know, the the next You'll, Tennessee Florida matchup, but man, this is that's going to be something. Could to be too. I mean, Florida certainly would be top ten, top fifteen. Tennessee could be top fifteen at that point yeah. too. It could be two top fifteen teams going head to head in that game. What do you think of Florida? Yeah. What do you think of Florida, Brent? Um, I, I like I like the two things. One, uh, Anthony Richardson has always had talent, and there's no question about that. Is can you harness that talent? I still think the way to beat Anthony Richardson in Florida is to make him throw it consistently. That's easier said than done because he's obviously very good with his legs. The one thing you knew about Florida, they're not as deep as they want to be. They don't have some of the skill guys they've had in the past. They have some shortcomings, uh, but they're still athletic and they still have talent down there. You knew they were going to play hard for Billy Napier because that team absolutely laid down and quit on Dan Mullen last year. I mean, I don't know that we've seen a team in this league tank it as bad as that team tanked it on their head coach a season ago. They were done with him. He was done with them. And that was a miserable experience for that team the back half of that season. So you knew there was going to be some renewed energy uh, in the Florida program. And I thought that showed up. I thought they played extremely hard on Saturday. They were far from perfect, but their crowd was with them, and, and they played with, with a ton of energy. I would expect they'll have a ton of energy this week. I like them in this matchup against Kentucky, given where Kentucky is at running back and what we saw out of Kentucky's offensive line against Miami of Ohio. I think Florida is going to be unbeaten when they come to Knoxville. I think they'll be ranked in the top ten. The question is going to be, does Tennessee uphold their end of the bargain on Saturday and set up for a, a marquee matchup that, that's going to get a lot of national attention? Uh, that's certainly what Danny White and all the Tennessee fans are hoping for and Josh Heupel's hoping for, and I think that's what a lot of college football people are hoping for as well. Don't sleep on Akron, Brent. Let's let's not forget about Akron, though, in between. The Zips. Yep. The yep. Zips, right? I don't know. Who, who does Florida have after Kentucky, right? 
It's like South, South Florida. South I think. Florida. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Let's sleep on okay. the Zips and uh, South Florida and the Bulls. Three and zero against three and zero. The tent pole night, moment night. though of the of the schedule for Tennessee happens this Saturday. It was the first one we pointed to uh, when the rematch against Pitt and signifying, uh, uh, hey, are, are they seven and five? Or are they getting to nine? Are they climbing to ten? Some people say this is one of those games you've got to have to do that. Brent. Uh, Great coverage as always. Uh, Site looks great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks, with, man. With the partnership there with On3. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Enjoy Pittsburgh. All right. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you guys have a great rest of the week and have a great weekend. Sounds it's great. fun to talk a little college football, isn't it? Oh, Love it. Always. Love Thanks, it. Brent. There's Brent Thanks, Haas. guys. .com, uh Well worth, well worth uh, the, the price of admission there to go get some great college football content. It's, SEC uh, coverage, Tennessee, top to bottom. First year's a dollar. Is the is the oh, special right. Right, now. right now? Yep, for membership. Coming up, ten big questions as we head into the NFL season. That's next on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Ten big questions as we head into the NFL season. Guys, it kicks off tomorrow in Los Angeles, Rams and Bills. And they would not qualify for our first question here. Which new starting quarterback has the best chance to win his division? I will start, and I'm going to go with the team I almost picked to win the AFC South, the Colts and Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan is in a position where they're going to contend for the AFC South. Give me Matt Ryan as the guy who could win the division. I also say Matt Ryan. I think they're closest to being able to win. Baker Mayfield, no. Uh, I don't think that Russell Wilson and Denver are getting to the, to the playoffs or the top of that division. 49ers uh, are going to dip, though I think they're a playoff team. And the Steelers are third place at best to me. I think Trey Lance has the best roster around him of the new coaches, uh, new quarterbacks. Excuse me. So I, I have Matt Ryan as well. 
uh, best chance. It was their number two at worst in as we predict the season, which is so unpredictable. I get it. I would I would go Matt Ryan, but I think Trey Lance is right well, there behind him. I, I picked uh, the 49ers right. to win the division. I, I just wasn't even factoring in Trey Lance because he started a few games last year. Technically, so the I, new I, starter, I, yeah. though, so you change it? If we're factoring Trey Lance in, then I'm, I'm going with the team that I picked All to win right, the division. So we got, off a, we got off a yeah. unanimity. That's so I'll, good. I'll, I'll change it. I'll, I'll go Trey Lance. Which good new head coach has the best record at the end of the season? Kevin O'Connell. Because? Because they're going to finish second place in that division, and uh, second place in a division in the NFC is uh, is not a bad place to be. This was a very Todd, Todd Bowles should have been my answer. This was the very easy answer for me. It's Todd Bowles. That, that's right away. That's that's what jumped out. It's it's Dennis Allen or Todd Bowles is what I'm thinking here. Because uh, again, the Saints roster is really good. I don't I don't know what to expect from Jameis Winston week to week. I think he's it, he is what he is, extremely streaky. Five touchdown passes one week, five interceptions the next on five consecutive passes in that same game. Like, it's just uh, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions come, come bubbles to the top for me whenever I think of the Saints at quarterback. I'll just I'll but, change mine to uh, first-time head coach. I, I made a mistake there, obviously, because the Vikings in second place so, are not going to win more games than, than the, uh, the Bucks in first place. Well, so here are the new head coaches. Um, we have several of them. So you've got Lovey Smith in Houston, Matt Eberflus in Chicago. No, no. Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. No. Brian Dable in New York with the Giants. No. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings. Mike McDaniel see, in Miami. Maybe. Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Conceivable, according to a lot of people, not me. Dennis Allen in New Orleans. Not for me. Todd Bowles in Tampa and Josh McDaniels in Vegas. I mean, once you get past the first two names on that, two, three, or, I'll go to three or four Nathaniel names. Hackett, did you say? Yeah. Yep. You, you get into some a lot of good candidates that could have a really good season. McDaniels is interesting because I think – there's the, a lot of faith in him to have turned it around in his second time. Yeah, so he's been, he hasn't been a head coach for 10 years, and he has been very precise and methodical about the jobs he's interviewed for, the ones he would even consider. He screwed you know, over the Colts oh, had, in the middle there. Yeah, that's, uh, he did. He also, I mean, he had the chance to interview for the job in Jacksonville and coach Trevor Lawrence and said, I'm, I don't even, I'm not even going to waste your time. No. Um, and he's turned down other opportunities over the decade. He was offensive play caller in in New Orleans, uh, in New England. Point being, money talks, but so does the situation he chose in Vegas. So that I think people would be stunned if they won the division. But I'm I'm thinking of the big shockers. I, I think we're overlooking the Raiders a bit. I know you guys had them in the postseason, but I. Uh, I feel like the entire offseason I've overlooked them as a team that's there on the horizon but not within the Raiders. Game. Yeah. I've yeah. got the Raiders in the playoffs. I don't like their depth. I have them in the playoffs too, though. Which player not named Derrick Henry is your favorite to win NFL comeback player of the year? Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think if uh, – I mean, this is the big if with him now. It's about him staying healthy. Sure. But um, that's – to me, he's he's the guy. If, he's, if he is available to play – He's going to run away with this award. And, and let's, I don't know if you're going there, Paul, but it, let's stick, stick on McCaffrey briefly. If he stays healthy, the Panthers are in the postseason, in my opinion. Like, really? He's, I mean, 
bad quarterbacks are made to look good with him. I don't think there's any chance he stays healthy. I think he maxes out at 10 or 11 games. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's one of those guys that's good for 12 games a year on average, right? And, I mean, again, I go back to last year. The Panthers were 3-0 and when he was healthy to start the season. Sam Darnold and Matt Rule were a great pair at 3-0. and And then he goes out, and then it just hit the fan. So is he your answer? No. Who's your answer? Michael Thomas in New Orleans. Yeah. That, I, I wrote down two, two names. Years, and I, I have a ton of faith that he's back and ready to roll. I wrote down two names. I wrote down Michael Thomas, and I wrote down Chase Young. But Chase Young apparently has suffered a setback in his comeback or 2023 something new. comeback. So put him down for 2023. Yeah. yeah, so he was on PUP. And, and then <clears throat> I saw a tweet today that said, which, the report is true. Uh, Trace, Chase Young is uh, you know, out for a significant amount or something like that, and which is a big setback for the commander. By the way, the, uh, the favorite in defense. Vegas right now for comeback player of the year is Jameis Winston. Is it? I, I looked up odds. I didn't look on an app or anything, but I just searched for odds, and it gave me Derrick Henry hmm. as the favorite, which he should be. Most overrated offseason storyline is? The whole drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers. I mean, pick any of it. Uh, blue of Earth, <laughs> him doing psychedelics, uh, exes, uh, vaccination status, Joe Rogan interviews, the whole looking like uh, Nick Cage and Con Air. Like just anything about Aaron Rodgers. I say it's overblown. It's entertaining to follow Aaron Rodgers and everything going on, but it's not going to matter at all once they start playing. He's going to be just fine. I feel like he's going to have a really good year. I've got them winning the Super Bowl this year. But for that reason, I think everything this offseason is overblown. I, I'm saying Russell Wilson because I don't think Denver's going to be substantially better. I think the Vic Fangio loss of what he does on defense and the competition in the division makes them – a 500-ish team, you have to say now, because there's no such thing as 8-8. Eight and eight. But I don't think they're going to be that big a factor in the stacked AFC. So, Not I, that that's not a big acquisition or anything, but it's not going to turn out to be AFC-altering. I, uh, so I'm, I'm buying into one element of the offseason storyline, but I think we focused on the wrong part of it. I, I'm pointing to Tom Brady in Tampa and his 11-day absence. I don't think it plays a factor in his overall play or his uh, command of the locker room or um, what what can be expected of a Brady-led offense. However, the element that we've overlooked as a just sports fan group is the offensive line issues. I I think that plays so much more of a factor than anything involving him and his family and whatever he's doing on his own time and whatever he's doing outside of the, the facility. Um, I do think he views the the football as as an escape, and he didn't want to retire, and then comes back forty days later, and the whole Arians thing. I, I think that's been overblown. The offensive line issues will be the downfall if they have one, and it'll be the reason why the Saints can win the division. I agree. What or who will be the biggest surprise of the twenty twenty two season? I'll start. I, I think it's Philly. Uh, I've got them winning the division, but I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC all season long. And uh, the talk of that division is the Cowboys, seemingly always the Cowboys. Give me Philly in that division, and I think, uh, Paul, they're going to be 
a story we're going to be following all year because they're going to they're going to over deliver on preseason expectations. Yeah, I I think you might be right. I'm just I have trouble with the Jalen Hurts part because I think he's uh, unconventional. I, I I don't think he's going to throw it nearly as well um, as as I'd like for him to throw it. But I think the division shapes up in uh, in nice um, shape. For them, I, I I'm all in on the Chargers, so I'm going to have a Chargers thing. I think the Chargers are going to be a big surprise. I think the Chargers defensively are going to be a big surprise. I'm going here to look where the Chargers ranked on defense last year, and I'm having trouble finding it. Twenty third, yeah, they're really in bad yards given the, up. Yeah, they're three sixty, the and against the run, um, rushing yards per game, the uh, Baltimore gave up eighty four point five. Still. Um, you know, as bad as Baltimore's season was, and the Chargers way down here gave up 138.9, third worst in the league. Uh, they're going to be substantially better. At that. Well, their season ended because they couldn't stop a simple run play yeah. in the third final game eight, of the season, and um, they beefed up the middle of their defense for that reason. Only Houston and Pittsburgh were worse, but it shows you you can get in with the bad run defense because Pittsburgh was there as the seventh seed. I. So I'm going surprise being they're picking this team. I, I think the majority of people think that this team will have success. And I, it's not, it's not, I'm not putting them in the disappointment category later. Biggest surprise of the 2022 season will be how much New England struggles, given the fact that Josh McDaniels is not there. And, and how they have formed this group of, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, and Mac Jones in year two, compared to, I, I always... Point that in November of last year, we were comparing that New England team to Brady's first Super Bowl team. And Mac Jones was this heir apparent. And now it's, you know, who's calling plays and are they really changing their run scheme? And I just, I, I, I saw frustration at the end of the preseason. And I think it's a struggle for the, the Patriots in a surprising way that we weren't expecting. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I feel like I've done this before, though, where I talk myself into believing that the Patriots are going to be a disaster in some way under Bill Belichick. Yeah. And Belichick seems to always figure it out. Uh, I, I don't see it with this team. That I think they're going to be really bad. So who are, what or who will be the biggest disappointment of the 2022 season? Well, I put the Patriots down in that okay. category, but we just covered it, so I'll go elsewhere. I'll go to Justin Fields. I, I'm not a Justin Fields guy. And I think that he's just set up for disaster in Chicago. I don't think the weaponry is horrible. That team picked up, what, six people off of uh, waivers, which tells you what they feel yep. about at least the very bottom of their roster. They've got a defensive coach. I don't think he's set up for much success, and I didn't love him even if he was set up for much success. But meanwhile, his contemporaries around the league – are getting receivers and offensive linemen and all kinds of Christmas presents, and Justin Fields got a lollipop. I mean, I'll double down on this because Paul's got this team winning the Super Bowl, and I don't even have them in the playoffs. But it's oh. the Chargers. Based on expectation, I think they're one of the two teams out in the AFC West, and they don't even make the playoffs this year. Also gave a lot of thought to the Cowboys being bad. I wanted year. the That's Cowboys not to be in the playoffs, but it's hard in the but NFC I, to exactly. not have them I, in there. But I have them in the playoffs, so I can't, I can't put them down. Oh, so yeah, I see what you're saying because you're, you're trying. To, I, I thought about you're it, forming but like, your opinion right. based on the yeah. predictions from last week when we turned. Well, them and in. also, I mean, it's the Cowboys, so anything they do is going to be big, yeah. and if it's a big flop, it's going to be bigger than but anyone else's flop. But they'll flop in the playoffs, yeah, like they always do. 
My biggest disappointment is Carson Wentz. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, the, I think the commanders are going to be really bad. And they were just a 500-ish team. You know, I don't... I think they're bottom of the basement. I think they're bad um, too, but I think he'll actually be, you know, a decent quarterback for a bad team. Oh, I, I drafted think, him as a backup in one league. You know, that the uh, now basing this off of uh, the, the offseason... They've upgraded at quarterback, and you know their defense underwhelmed a year ago when we thought they were going to be great. And now Chase Young, now is Chase Young's at I and the off-season storyline there with the organization and Ron Rivera. Really, I don't think it ends well. I think that organization ends up being the biggest disappointment based on the year they had last year and upgrading at quarterback. The rookie who will make the biggest impact. I went with Alave in New Orleans. He's a good choice. That's a popular pick, too, for Rookie of the Year. Very big uh, very big choice. I think they spread it around. Um, they've got a, a big-arm QB that, that is going to do that with Thomas and Olave, and uh, they'll throw it out of the backfield to Kamara. I, I think he is, of the rookie receivers, the one that is going to be the biggest fantasy boom and, and for that, I'm pointing to him as the, the rookie favorite. I'm going outside the box here. I'm going the guy who's not currently a starter for his team, Kenny Pickett. He, Kenny Pickett's going to get in there by week four. Mm. I think quickly this season, Mitch Trubisky will show himself to be a below-average NFL quarterback, that he is, and Kenny Pickett will get his chance, and he is going to shine when he gets that opportunity. I thought about George Karloftis in Kansas City. That's a good one, who too. Who I think is going to be good. Yeah. But I'm going Damian Pierce in Houston. I, I think he's uh, uh, going to get the bulk of the work in the in the backfield there. I think uh, in order for Mills to have any chance, they're going to have to be a, a very balanced offense, maybe run heavy. And uh, fourth rounder out of Florida is, has won the job. Uh, which is a hard thing to do as a rookie running back on a, on a, on a bad team would usually want a veteran to have that, that job. And uh, I, I'm looking for him to be a, a guy they lean heavily on and who's going to impress, particularly on the fantasy thing, which always gets a guy a lot of attention. No doubt. Uh, and that's how I thought about the question too. The coach who will make the biggest difference. So I, I, I was going back and forth between two guys, Kevin O'Connell or Doug Peterson. I'm going to go with O'Connell because I've got the Vikings in the playoffs. So it's going to be more impactful for that. These are two guys, though, that are inheriting pretty toxic situations from their predecessor mm -hmm. because things went south for Zimmer in, in Minnesota, and there's a lot of reports about how unhappy that entire building was, and we all know about Urban Meyer and the epic failure that was his Jacksonville Jaguars tenure. So I'm going Kevin O'Connell, slight edge over Doug Peterson. What about you, Hutt? I wrote down Peterson, but I have, I have one that I, I don't know if it qualifies, but I, I wrote down Peterson because I think the Jags will be vastly, in, vastly improved from the perception of how we view them today versus how we're going to view them in December. Not a playoff team, but they're a six or seven win club, and that is a big jump from an organization that's had back-to-back -back number one overall selections? I'm going against the grain, and I say Zach Taylor, because I think most people are thinking Cincinnati's a one-shot deal, and they're going to go back to being you know something closer to what they've always expected, and I think they're going to be really good again and be a factor in the AFC playoffs, and he's going to establish himself as a guy 
who's a legitimate good coach with good yeah. talent who knows how to manage it. So the 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 asterisk here that I put down is Sean McDermott. I think he's, I, I wrote him down also. I think he's the most underrated coach in football you right now. You do not hear a word Nothing. about the guy. When you think about Buffalo, he's fourth, fifth, sixth guy you think of if you even if he's even that high. He's coached that team to playoff appearances for the last five years. Steady as can be. Yeah, and he's it, like he's Mike Vrabel light. Difference maker. Um, Brady and Rodgers, uh, they, they're in the offseason spotlight. Both stay with their team, so I paid Paul $100. Uh, lost my bet. Which initially I paid yeah, initially because Brady I, retired. Yeah. Does either quarterback make the conference championship? Chad, I know your answer. The answer is yes. Aaron Rodgers, uh, yes. And I've got Aaron Rodgers winning the Super Bowl also. I have them. I say no. I, I think this is the year where they turn – they flip the page to the new quarterback era. So where they're not, championship game? They're not dominating uh, in that way. I've got the Rams and uh, Eagles in the NFC. I think uh, I, we didn't have to pick a championship game per se, so this question right. puts me on the spot for that. I think the Packers get there. I've got the Rams in the Super Bowl. So I think uh, Aaron Rodgers loses a championship game to the Rams, probably at SoFi. I'm ready for this new quarterback crop to just take over. And I, I think um, – I'm not saying that they won't be good. I think Brady's last year, right? That's a vibe. Presumably, yeah. Rodgers, offensively, without Adams and not having some pieces right now, I just think it's slow out of the gate. I think they're better, but they're not nearly what they were a year ago uh, come playoff time. I think the Vikings, by the way, win on Sunday, and the Packers start 0-1, but they're going to go on and win the Super Bowl. That's my pick for this nice. weekend. Which wide receiver who switched teams has the biggest impact on their offense? Impact here, not stats, Tajay but Sharp. helps them win games. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know if he changed teams. Uh, uh, Titans fans are going to hate to hear this, but it's A.J. Brown. That, that's the answer to me. I, and it's a part of my previous answer about Philly being a big surprise this year. I think A.J. Brown is going to be a star in Philly. I think that his mentality – is going to have a big impact on that locker room and on that offense. Yeah. Give me give me A.J. Brown in Philly. It's a good answer. Uh, I, I put down Devontae Adams because the firepower now of that Raiders offense with McDaniels and with Carr, I've always been slightly above the grain on Derek Carr, like Paul. Um, I think Devontae Adams has the biggest impact on the go-to player for any team right now in football. You should both be wrong, and it should be Tyreek Hill. But I can't get myself to say Tyreek Hill because I can't believe in Tua. I just can't. I don't care that he throws the nicest ball in the history of mankind because I think that ball's delivered uh, in 10 yards or under, and he can only be so open with double coverage at 10 yards. So I'm going with Chad here and that that it's going to be A.J. Brown. And again, I'm going to blame the Cowboys for that. Always blame the Cowboys. It's easy to do. Imagine and if, fun. Imagine if it ends up being Julio. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's, it's going to be a tie between Julio and A.J. Brown? Only because we had, Brady. Our, uh, we had our OutKick 360 fantasy draft here the other day, and somebody took Julio Jones late, and we all, <laughs> the whole room turned and looked at a her groan. and went, oh, really? Oh. Uh, hit and us watch, up on Twitter. And Hutton said, watch, he'll light it up. Watch it, yeah. If he's with Brady, he'll, he'll be the new Gronk where and away from the you Titans. need a score. He's going to have one catch, one touchdown. <laughs> and away from the receiver needy Titan. Right. 
Uh, hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts at Outkick360. We wrap up the show and look ahead to tomorrow night's matchup with the Bills and Rams next. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Matchup tomorrow night between the Bills and Rams. It is an early test for a reshaped Buffalo offensive line. They've added Roger Saffold. Uh, they added Ryan Bates at guard. That's their guard tandem with Mitch Morse at center. Lining up and going head-to-head with Aaron Donald. Uh, that's a test right out of the gate. I'm just really hoping the suite I'm in for the Backstreet Boys concert allows <laughs> us to keep the TVs on. Uh, a lot honest, of the concerts, that the, the TVs will go off. You can't turn them on during the because of the lights. When you got these tickets, there's no way that you realized that oh, he it was knew. opening night of football. Well, I, for that reason, Paul, I wasn't going to go when I saw the date. And then my buddies who go every time they're in town were like, hey, Withrow, are you going to get us some tickets to this Backstreet Boys concert? I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'm in. Well, he's also going because he has a suite. Yes. That Simon would go. Not Simon. Suite. That's what Simon asked and me I'll, when I asked I'll him be if he wants to go. Pearl do we Jam. have a suite? Pearl Jam next week. Yeah, now that one. I'm Very different of. acts. <laughs> From Backstreet Boys to Pearl Jam. My ticket guide told me to wait until day of. Will you sing Jam. more? I'm a fan of all music. Will I've you been sing to along Marilyn more Manson to Backstreet Boys or Pearl Jam? Oh, I'll sing along more to Backstreet Boys because the songs are more <laughs> in, instantly <laughs> recognizable. Uh, you can't sing along with Pearl Jam. You mumble along. There was a lot of uh, at our uh, our uh, fantasy draft last night. There was a lot of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC yeah, playing. Per, yeah, that was I, we put that on yeah. to honor you. Yeah. It was great. It was. I mean, it, it, it was catchy. Everyone knew all the no, songs. No. They it's knew been, it. People were laughing at you. Not, not singing. <laughs> people were laughing at you, not singing with you. It's fine. They'll, they'll I'm, all I'm be singing, they'll all be all singing along this week, this, uh, tomorrow night. Backstreet yep. Boys. It's time. Bills, Rams. Let's what, go. What if I took the day off because I was preparing to go to Backstreet Boys? <laughs> how, how would I be viewed on this show if I told you guys, guys, I'm going to like people who take their birthday off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to take the day off. I just really need some time to prep for Backstreet Boys at Bridgestone Arena. One more night, then the NFL returns. I wonder if they're here already. <laughs> the guys. Maybe. The band. Boys, I got to admit, I'm running out of steam. My third fantasy draft of three nights tonight. Yeah. I, 8.30 tonight. I can't wait. It'll be over. Join us tomorrow, game day, Armando Salguero, Trey Wallace, and we'll preview Bills and Rams and get you ready for the NFL weekend on OutK360. Do not block the box and kindly lock all of your locks.